0: what up guys welcome to episode four of king of the casuals boxing podcast um just going to talk mostly about the fights this week we had a decent weekend of fights uh, not too much news um all right we're probably going to start with the pbc card um the main event was michael coffee versus jonathan rice uh jonathan rice was a late-ish replacement for a Washington, and, uh, you know, this surprised some people. Um, I'll just get into it before the result. Uh, Coffee came out. He looked really flat-footed. He looked – it looked like he was wearing cement boots, right, frankly. You know, he wasn't moving around. He was plodding forward on the center line, and just in general, he looked very very stationary, very hittable target. Um, Rice was – you know, hitting him with that right hand pretty continuously. And um, he was landing sidestep hooks, fadeaway shots. It was... Um, Coffee was just way too easy to hit in this fight. He had no head movement. Um, he did try and roll with a couple punches, which Lennox Lewis brought up. But in general, just very weak head movement and defense. Uh, like I said, that right hand... The straight was finding a home. The overhead was finding a home. Even the loopy, overhand rather was finding a home. Even the loopy hooks were were finding a home. So, Coffey was just—I don't—he—he—he he, he wasn't even trying to parry shots. Really, his left hand, his lead hand was a little—or excuse me, his right hand was a little low. Um, and yeah, at one point in round five, which was the final round of the fight, Rice landed four or five straight straight shots in a row and coffee, you know, he stepped straight back and he exited right along the center line with no head movement or, or footwork or nothing His exit. Like I said, he didn't attempt to parry nothing. It was just straight down the middle, very hittable. Um, not good, uh, around five coffees hand drops and he got, uh, landed on f- so flush. It was, I mean, it was borderline comical for a professional fighter to get landed on like that. It was just out of nowhere. Um, rice didn't even really throw a trap before that shot. It was just pretty much walks up a straight right hand lands flush. Didn't faint. Didn't do anything. Just boom. Um, round five after, after a few more good shots, the referee stops it. Um, you know, coffee complained, but he really looked—he looked like a wounded bird or bullied child in there. Um, the ref had no choice but to stop it. And um, people are saying this is a surprise or a shocking loss, is how Sky Sports termed it. Um, I think it was definitely a little surprising, but I wouldn't—I wouldn't call it shocking. You know, this race guy's got experience, even though most of his big fights are losses. He's fought Charles Martin; that was a loss. Tony Yoka and Effia Jagba also, obviously, both losses. But this is a a guy that's clearly durable, has some experience, um, you know. And uh, it it was a step-up fight. Um, Like Jonathan Rice said, I'll read the quote here. He said after the fight, I wasn't a late replacement. I was waiting for an opportunity. We replaced somebody, but we weren't late. We fought right on time. I was training every day. I was training with Michael Hunter. I did 20 rounds, 10 and 10 last Friday before I got the call. So when I got the call, I was ready. And and I love that for a fighter on his level. You know, you always got to stay ready because you never know. You never know when that call is going to come. And I I love that. You know, he's not getting out of shape. He's staying ready. He sparred with Michael Hunter. I believe he said he was sparring with Luis Ortiz. A lot of people were talking about how – Coffee was the sparring partner of Deontay Wilder, and that's great. But like, look, Deontay Wilder's a, a good fighter. He's a fantastic fighter, but he's not going to be um, technically improving you in sparring. I mean, Deontay Wilder, we know he's got one trick, and that's the right hand. If he lands that, it's going to be dangerous. But you know, you'd like to see him. You'd improve more being in there with a Lewis Ortiz or a Michael Hunter because you're going to get. You know, variety, you're gonna get some more movement, and yeah, uh Deontay Wilder. Um, we've seen some of his sparring footage against Hergovic, etc. And um, yeah, he doesn't strike me as somebody you're gonna improve much sparring, to be honest with you. Um, where does Coffee go from here? He's an older guy. He's 35, he's young in the game but he's an older guy and, um, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with Michael Coffey, the person, you know, he, he used to be a, a Marine, I believe, and um, he's clearly a tough guy and he clearly follows his dreams starting this sport so late and to even get at the level he's at, at his age is impressive. I, I don't think he's got the stuff to step up further. I think Washington would have beat him as well. But I think he can make some more fun fights with him and, you know, he could get some more, some more dough and then, and then ride off into the sunset. i like him. He seems like a good person, you know, his nickname's polite, you know, he's a good guy and I'm fully going to keep supporting and watching the rest of his fights. But with that kind of movement and uh, technique, it's, it's very, it's very rudimentary. It's very basic. And I don't think, He's going to be able to to step up to any any significant uh, competition level. Had he started earlier, it's possible. But you know what, Mike Coffee, good on you because it it's a tough thing to do. It takes courage to get in there, and he's doing it later in life. And like I said, that's awesome. So I'm not going to hate on the guy. I just don't know technically, tactically, if I see him being able to make the jump to the next level. All right. So we're going to move on to the card on zone, the Matchroom card, week one of Fight Camp. Eddie Hearn's got um, three weeks of Fight Camp, which he's uh, going to be having fights from um, Matchroom HQ, which I guess is his old house backyard or a palatial uh, British countryside estate. It's... It's really cool. We've seen him do this once before. It's you know what I'm really liking the production of this. They did the um the lead ups on um on DAZN with Ade and Tony Bellew, and it was fun. You know they had a good time. They previewed the fights. This kind of production, this kind of stuff, is what is what younger fans want to see, and this is the kind of stuff that is going to bring the sport forward and back into popularity, in my opinion. I got to do stuff like this. And I think Eddie Hearn has figured it out because I was engaged. And, you know, some of the younger guys, it's easy for them to watch. You know, like last week I was hating on Frank Warren. That's the exact opposite of what boxing needs right now is Frank Warren, in my opinion. I think Eddie Hearn, if you're a a British fighter specifically and you're not trying to get into Eddie Hearn's stable, I think you're making a big mistake. But that's my opinion. I think he's got... He's got a good plan and a lot of people hated on him um, because, you know, he tweeted out uh, game changed and people thought the fights were overwhelming or underwhelming rather, but he's doing a good job and a good thing. And I think this is really fun. So moving forward, I only see this getting bigger and better. And uh, I have a lot of hope for these fight camps and, you know, this on, on Saturday, it was a fantastic night of fights. On paper, some of them, yeah, whatever. But it was a good night of fights, and I had a lot of fun watching it. A shitload more fun than I had watching the Frank Warren card the week before. Those cards are hard to get through. Okay, so we'll start this up with the first fight. It was uh, Avni Yildirim uh, versus Jack Cullen for the IBF International Super Middleweight title. And uh, Yildirim, I guess the question of this fight was... How motivated would he be after that payday? He um, fought Canelo, which I guess fighting is a loose term. He kind of came out and was a punching bag, but he got a big payday from that fight. So did he need to continue? Some people thought no, but here he is, and he's taking a, a, not just a walkthrough fight. Cullen, Cullen's a, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. So um, around one, there was obviously a big height difference. Um, Colin, uh, Cullen rather was throwing out the jab, but Yildirim was very aggressive on the front foot. Yildrim was, was walking him down. Um, one thing I noticed, um, was Yildirim, when he threw that body hook, he was, he was very, very wide open. You know, he, he kept his defensive hand low when he threw that hook and, uh, it cost him late in later rounds. Um. You know, um, the jabs from Cullen as well. He was he was sitting down on those jabs, even and most of the shots. But he was sitting down on those jabs, and they were just throwing Yeldrum's head back, it was like uh, to the point where it looked like they were filming a Rocky movie. A couple of times, his head just dramatically uh, was pushed back, and um, yeah, Yeldrum's footwork was looking very sloppy, stepping back. There was a couple times where he was stepping stepping back for his escapes. Obviously, Colin had a lot of reach, but Yildrim was getting caught just as his feet were coming together, which is when you're at your lowest point of balance. So he was doing some pretty uh, inefficient footwork and exits. Um, Yildrim was throwing good hooks as he walked forward, and around round three, um, Yeldrum was cutting off the ring better. He was trying to walk, uh, trying to walk Cullen into the corners. Uh, and when Cullen jabbed, Yildrim was, was coming over the top, over the top nicely with uh, with a right. And I thought Yeldrum was starting, starting to read him. Um, Yildirim was going to the body more, and uh, Cullen very predictably throughout this fight uh, continually circled to the left which somebody who was throwing the right with a little setting more traps and throwing the right with a little more um, discretion could have caught him quite easily. I think Yildrim was, was not throwing a good, right. He, you know, he was throw he has power on that hand, but he was throwing it out there kind of just from the hip. He wasn't setting it up. And um, yeah. So Colin, that's something he's got to work on his uh, he liked to jab and exit, exit to the left every single time. I think he exited to the right. I had caught counted on one hand throughout the entire fight. So, um, b- both men, very predictable, you know, Yildirim came in and, you know, he was going for that left body hook and he was trying to come over the top of the right. So both men at this level, extremely predictable, but it was a fun fight. It was very fun. Um, Colin starts landing uppercuts round five. Um, and yeah, in round five, he did actually move. I made a note. He made a mo- uh, move to the right for the first time, I think, all fight. Um, round six, Cullen landed two massive shots. And then at that point, Yildirim, uh started to to hold. Um, Cullen was gaining his his confidence in this round. And yeah, like I said, Yeldrum was just too predictable. Um, Yildrum got him in the corner in round eight and started hooking which actually bloodied the nose of Cullen and uh, he was hurt, but Yildirim couldn't, couldn't take advantage of it. Um, You know, Yildirim hands down, he started showing head movement in round eight. Where had that been all fight is what I said, because Yildirim again as well was not showing a lot of head movement. So, I mean, if I were his coach, I would have been, I would have been, in his corner saying, you gotta move your head more. You know, he's too predictable. Like I said, there was no feints. Cullen was exiting to the left every time. Um, And yeah, Yeldrum wasn't moving his head, which made his shots, they were coming in from the same angle almost every time. Um, By round 10, you know, the high energy fight had turned into a lot of clinching. End of the day, um, the scorecards were 100 to 90, 98 to 92. 97 to 93 for the winner by unanimous decision, Jack Cullen, and the IBF International Super Middleweight Champion. So that was a, that was a fun opener. I had a lot of fun watching that fight, and um, it was a really good a really good opener. Um, the second fight we moved into was Anthony Fowler versus uh, Rico Mueller or Muller, who was a late replacement for Garcia. Uh, this one was—I don't believe if it was on the line—but uh, WBA International Super Welterweight Title. Um, yeah, Muller was a late replacement in a fight for um, for Garcia. Like I said, his two biggest fights were against Horn and Ponce, who had just who has just come off of a win against uh, Lewis Ritson, which some of you may have seen. Um, you know, Fowler—I liked his stance. He had a long stance. His lead hand was out there, and he was he was he was flicking it out. It was really it was really nice. You know, he's up more upright, but the style worked because Muller was a bit of a a more compact style fighter. He had a higher guard, and he was trying to bounce in and and he jabbed his way in, and he was trying to do some damage from the inside. So Fowler, you know, he kept he kept his uh, lead hand out there nicely, and he, he was trying to control the distance um Muller was bobbing in and going to the body like I said um Muller had some he, he was game he was game for a late appoint, opponent opponent yeah he landed a fantastic rate in round three um I really liked some of the shovel punches those old school shovel punches Muller was throwing inside the body and um he was He was game. He was a game fighter for Fowler. It wasn't obviously the hardest test, but for a late replacement, it's what you like to see. Uh, Fowler had great punch had a good punch variation. Um, and I really like the way Fowler, he said at the end of the right, he was try- uh, the fight he was trying to get more rounds, but um, you know he was really trying to mix up his punch variation variation the speed which some punches went in the 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 power which some punches go in if you're going to throw every shot with the same amount of power as we saw in the Yieldrum fight they become predictable and you could see them coming so some of them you had to throw lighter some you go in with the hard shot and and uh, Fowler was mixing up his shots nicely um, he got um, Muller's timing down the way Muller was coming inside and, and Fowler was picking his shots and circling well towards the end of the fight um, you know, he, he uh, Muller was caught big with a one-two and he was bouncing all over the ring in round eight. He got his hands up nice and protected himself, but you know, Fowler just, uh, he picked his shots and it was a good stoppage by the ref in round eight, two-twelve in round eight. Um, a lot of respect to Muller. came in late and he made it, he made it entertaining. It was a good, it was a good fight. Now the third fight on this card uh, the one I was looking forward to most personally is uh, Tommy McCarthy versus Chris Billum Smith for the cruiserweights British Commonwealth and European titles. Um, you know, I'd watched a lot of of McCarthy and and uh, Billum Smith, so I was really excited to see these two meet. Tommy came into this fight in the best shape of his career. He had abs, and it was a it was a far cry from, uh, you know, he was quite fleshy um, in his, his big come out fight really versus uh, Fabio Turkey. He looked like kind of a, a big baby is how I thought he looked, but um, now he's he's got abs. He's a, a complete transformation. The commentators were really selling that McCarthy the 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 kind of uh, story of how the fight would play out was that Chris Billum Smith and his power would be dangerous early on whereas McCarthy would would um, gain power in the later rounds. And I didn't know about that because McCarthy against Bilal Lagoon, I don't know, I can't remember which round exactly it was, but both of the guys were so gassed. Both of the guys were just, their conditioning, at one point they were they were clinching, just it seemed to lean on each other and get a rest. So based off of that fight with Bilal Lagoon, uh, I didn't think McCarthy has this amazing gas tank to be confident taking it into the later rounds, personally. Um, So I don't know where they got that from, but I disagreed heavily with that. Even though I think McCarthy's a good fighter, I didn't think he had this uh, kind of indispensable gas tank that would last him into the later round. Okay? So round one uh bill smith looked powerful he looked big he's just a big guy he's he's got he's got a hard hard shot with with every, with both hands really he landed two good two good hooks left lead lefts um, but the first round was very tense at the end of it tommy mccarthy landed a huge right um that put bill smith off balance he walked straight into it um and mccarthy threw it from the hip but it was a big right hand, And that kind of changed the um the what the commentator said, the story of the fight, because Tommy was looking more dangerous early on. Um, and uh, Tommy was throwing a lot from his hips with his hands low um, with confidence. Um, both men were landing big, good shots. Uh, McCarthy was setting traps and and looking the much more technical and he was he was looking for his right hand a little much but he was looking he was looking very technical um, he did miss large twice at the end of round three which with a guy with Bill and Smith's head movement and 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 uh, footwork is a little concerning but you know it happens um, Tommy was countering bill, uh, bill and Smith quite a lot um, and um, Towards round five, Billem Smith landed some good hooks and he was backing McCarthy up. That's when the fight really took a turn. Um, and Tommy was content to trade, which seemed to be a big mistake. Um, because Billem Smith got him up against the ropes and was landing large. You know, um, Tommy slowed significantly after round five taking those shots. By round six, both looked sluggish. Um and Tommy did what he did against Bilal Lagoon, which is I, if I was his coaches, and I think they were in the corner actually begging him to use this style more. Tommy McCarthy, when he was tired against Bilal Lagoon, he got on his rhythm. He got in that amateur uh, toe bouncing stance and he did it again against Bill and Smith. And, and that seems to be when he's, when he's at his best, especially when he's fatigued. Um, So, I think he should be doing more of that and working more on that because when he's on his toes and in his rhythm, he's, he's landing shots at will and he looks to be a completely different fighter. He was cut open. Um, and at one point in round seven, I like to see it personally. Some guys think it's a little dirty, but, uh, Bilham Smith was, was pawing at the cut with his lead hand to try and open it up a bit more. Um, the cut was bothering Tony, but good enough to win. Sure. Sure, he did, depending on who's watching and what style of fighting you like. He absolutely did. Uh, Tommy McCarthy was halfway up the ramp when the decision was announced, but, you know, that's to be expected. He left everything he had in the ring, and um, I thought he won the fight, but that's my opinion. I wasn't scoring it round by round. I could see Bill and Smith winning that fight as well. Personally, who do I see going further in their career? I think Tommy McCarthy is the more well-rounded fighter. You know, he's a better counterpuncher. He's got better footwork, especially when he's in his rhythm. He mixes up his punches better. That doesn't mean I think he's going to go further in the sport. You know, when you take a step up to that next level, there's guys who are better at all of those things than Tommy McCarthy at the world level. So I think Chris Billum-Smith, with his power and his strength, has a higher ceiling in the cruiserweight division. He's got a lot more stuff he needs to work on. He's got to work on his head his head movement. He's got to work on his footwork. He's got to time, work into his timing, not stepping into shots. But I think his ceiling and potential is higher because he's got attributes that you can't necessarily teach. Power, strength. McCarthy is a very good domestic and European level fight. But as I said, there's guys with with better hands than him when you get into that world level. There's guys with better footwork than him, better counter punching. There's guys that are gonna time him easily. And Billum Smith, as much as I think he he lost this fight personally, but it was close, like I said, as much as I think that Tony McCarthy showed him stuff he hadn't seen. I think he's got a greater ceiling for potential. Should he be developed properly? And McCarthy has improved leaps and bounds in the last year. I'm not saying he hasn't. I simply think with proper training and coaching, Bill M. Smith, with his power, could offer something a little bit different at the top that Tommy McCarthy might not be capable of. So that was my opinion on that fight. Um, moving into the final one, it was Khan versus... Uh, Lee Woods for the WBA featherweight title. Uh, Lee Woods came in with I think five weeks' notice. Um, we know Khan is a very active, active puncher. They call him the CompuBox uh, King, or yeah, the King of CompuBox. Buddy was coming off a two-year, two-year layoff, so that played into Lee Woods' hands. Um, Khan came out with a very high, narrow guard. Um, and Lee Woods, we saw he was throwing some really really hard body shots um to try and get Khan to lower his guard and he was throwing some looping hooks around the guard and uppercuts through the guard. and th- that guard is is as many as v- advantages as it has. It does have its disadvantages having having the guard that high. you know you you lose your peripheral vision a bit, so you, you're susceptible to hooks. And your body is quite exposed, so it's depending on how you use it. It could be a huge asset or a liability. And you know, Lee Woods just he came in with a great a great game plan, a great game plan. And he was, you know, going hard to the body. Those shots, you could hear them. My stream did cut out at round three, but when I came back, round five on my phone. Those shots, you could really hear them. They sounded like they hurt a lot. Um, and uh, you know, con did walk into a big uppercut round five. Um, another thing that Lee Woods was doing, um, was he kept his lead hand out there and kind of pawed at con at to, to really keep him away and, and keep keep his distance measurements. The ref eventually uh, warned against it, but he was doing, he was doing great. Um, Those uppercuts, like I said, those body shots were landing deep. Um, And the guard was just, if I was Zucon at at a certain point, you would think he'd have to switch it up. He'd have to switch up the guard. And um, he did not do that. He did not make an adjustment. Um, Round eight, uh, Lee Woods landed a huge uh, uppercut body. Or was it a body uppercut combo? Anyway, I, I just remember the crowd was yelling, finish him. And the people, the fans really, really were believing him at this point. And from this point on, he just looked, he looked world-class to me. Um, you could sense by round nine, the urgency of, of Khan because he knew, he knew he needed to win. He knew he needed to win. Um, Lee Woods would switch hitting nicely. Um, even when he hit the gloves, like I said of this high guard, even when he hit the gloves, it was um it was it was looking good and, and hurting hurting him. So that was good stuff. And uh basically Lee Woods stopped him in a round 12 with a huge right. A huge right. He wins, gets the stoppage, just an amazing fight for Lee Woods and a great way to end to end the first fight camp, a great way to end, end the night. So that was good stuff. I really liked what I saw. Um, it was great. And I'd like to, can't wait for fight camp next week. I can't wait to see more. All right. One last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, one piece of news from the week I wanted to talk about was the, uh, leaked sparring footage of, uh, Errol Spence jr. Um, and an unknown sparring partner who was, uh, emulating Manny Pacquiao um a lot of people said uh he didn't look good in it uh Keith Thurman commented on it um I'll read the quote in a second he said it popped in my feed it was too juicy not to click it uh they should have pulled pulled it down um Well, Pac Jr. was jumping in, putting hands on him, and that didn't look good to the people, especially me, who was rooting for Errol to take the old out with the new, Thurman said. Um, I still think you and me is a great fight in the future. Um, He goes on to say, seeing how he let his sparring partner jump in on him, get on the inside, put three pieces together, that's Pacquiao's specialty. That's exactly what he excels at. That's what he wants. So a lot of people have been criticizing this sparring footage. I personally didn't see it, but I think it has been taken down since. Um, Look, there's going to be some days where the best guys don't look good in sparring. That's a fact. Um, I think Errol's doing the right things getting a, a sparring partner to emulate Pacquiao. That's obviously a smart move. That's standard in A-Camp. But the thing is, we don't know what led to this specific uh, clip. We don't know. How many rounds did he do beforehand? Did he have a different partner in there with him before? You know, was he, was he doing multiple rounds? And this is the tail end. Uh, was he doing heavy bag work? Was he, like, how gassed was he when he was into that round? Because there's going to be rounds you look bad, especially after long, grueling sessions. Sure, it wasn't his first round in there with a guy. You know, maybe he did a full workout and he already had gone through three different fresh sparring partners and this was guy number four and you gave him some fits. That happens. If you're not getting into those situations where you look bad in sparring, I argue it's worse. As if you're just coasting through sparring partners, coasting through guys, nobody's hungry to, to give you some shots, then, you know, you get lulled into a full sense of security. So, I mean, look, I'm sure Errol Spence didn't like what happened to him in that clip, but that's something you take and you learn from. If you can't learn how to deal with it, then what is sparring for? You know, I was watching the Four Kings documentary on Showtime, and um, before one of his fights, his comeback fight, Sugar Ray got knocked out by a sparring partner, and he said everyone thought he was he was crazy for for continuing on with the fight after getting knocked out by a sparring partner. It happens, you know. We've heard of we've always heard the old story. I think Zab has knocked out Mayweather in sparring a hundred times, and. <laughs> um, you know, there's that old sparring story of uh, Klitschko had such a hard time with Usyk. He cleared out the gym, and we've seen some some footage of recently. We saw Joe Joyce and Alan Babich, and um, that was a competitive spar as well, right? And um, Hergovich uh, beating up Deontay. Well, these are things that these are things that it happens, and if you're not losing some rounds in sparring especially when you're you're cycling in and out sparring partners, then what are you doing? If you're just going to go in there and walk through a bunch of uh, amateur guys that spar exactly how you want, then it's going to affect you in the long run. It's going to affect you in the long run. He got a guy to emulate Pacquiao. He lost that round. Now maybe he's better prepared at, at what's going to be coming to him, what's going to be coming at him. So my opinion is this doesn't matter. Uh, it's just – People are making a story out of it. Like I said, we don't know. We don't know if we did road work before that with a bag work with multiple sparring part. We don't know. So at the end of the day, this is a non-story to me. He uh, lost a sparring round.
1: It, it happens.
0: It happens. And um, I guess guys who have never been in there, they don't. They don't know. Guys that have never sparked. I'm a shit boxer. I had some good rounds against guys who are way better than me. Could I do it again? I don't know. You know, they had been working hard. I went in there fresh. I had a good round. And sometimes I thought they were letting me win because I had such a good round, but that's the way it goes. You know, if somebody's been in there for rounds and they're trying to get a fresh guy in, uh, it's, you can't. Everyone's human. You know, they slow down after a while. So, like I said, if you take a I, I mean, like I said, I'm a shit boxer, and you could take a, a little snippet of me from sparring looking like looking like a, like a hero, but that's not the truth of the story. So these short sparring clips, uh, they make for good headlines. They make for good news. People could hate on them, people who love them, but at the end of the day, uh, it's kind of a non-story in my opinion. Even though I'm spending some time on it, I know I know it's fun for people to, to speculate and, and take a look at it. So. All right, that's it for this week. And um, I'll be next week with some more, be back next week with some more fight analysis. Thanks, guys.